Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, January 27th edition. Over at the Clemson football offices, they are gearing up for this weekend's Elite Junior Day. And our guy, Paul Strelo, is going to have elite coverage of it through the weekend. And of course, culminating with the much-awaited Monday AM Insider at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, a few weeks ago, we did a series of articles sort of exploring the backgrounds of both Cade Klubnik and early enrolled freshman Christopher Vizina. Thought we would share some of the raw audio from two of the most uh, uh, prominent conversations we had. We'll start with Todd Dodge, legendary Texas high school coach who coached Klubnik at Westlake High School, and then Jay Matthews, athletic director and also quarterbacks coach at Briarwood Christian Academy in Birmingham. He and Debo Sweeney go back a long way, so really interesting stuff there. All right, here we go. Enjoy. buy into that place and then now I need, need I get to go and and, uh, and follow him and then Westlake is a place that you know I finished my career and, I, and uh, the, the defense coordinator Tony Salzor my guy he was my guy for 10 years my last 10 years he's the head coach there so I've got two people that are very very close to me in my life that are the head coach at the former place I coach. so it's a good it's a good deal and I can go back and and um you know, and, and visit with those coaches and players and just, you know, it's play a little golf along the way. And so far, so good. I have, uh, I can't, t- I can't tell you I hadn't gotten the edge come playoff time this year. It, uh, it kind of hit me, kind of missed a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that was me you were talking to when you were talking about coming back, coming to Clemson for, for that long. Can you, uh, I don't, I don't know about that. Well, um, we had had a plan all along, uh, sometime in the fall to go uh, to come see Kate play and um, we he and I look, we kind of looked on the schedule and it looked like you know week three against Louisiana Tech um, would be a good week and so my wife and I left on a Monday 
um, I want to say it was September the 12th. And we just took off and we headed, we drove, I forgot where we stayed the first time. Anyway, our first destination was Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we stayed in Chattanooga for for two days and had a great time. And then we went on to Asheville, North Carolina for two days. And what a, what a beautiful place. And then we then we came to Clemson for the weekend and spent two days there in Clemson around the, you know, with the Klubniks, with his mom and dad and with some other friends from Westlake and tailgated and just had a great time. And, and uh, you know, bonus was Kay got to play and got to visit with him after the game. And then the next day we took off on our way back to Texas and stopped along the way and played a little golf in uh, in Birmingham and uh, yeah and then kind of by the by the time we got back uh, we were heading heading through the Dallas Fort Worth area you know on our way back and uh, and lo and behold my wife goes I mean my wife my daughter goes into labor and has my fourth grandchild so we we kind of pivoted uh, and went on went on to Fort Worth to to uh, enjoy that yeah. so yeah it was it was a fun trip that has to be kind of a blissful existence and something totally foreign. I mean, I'm guessing you've never, yeah, you never experienced yeah. not having anything anywhere to be and nothing to do. No. no, I mean, I was kind of one of those guys, like a lot of coaches are. It's kind of our, our joke all the time is, is that, you know, during football season, if anybody ever wanted to, you know, take a coach out, if anybody wanted to, you know, knock him off or something like that, it wouldn't be hard because you know exactly where he is every, you know, every. Uh, five minutes of the day because the routines are so uh, regimented and we love that and that's just what makes us who we are as coaches you know but uh, uh, at some point um, yeah it was time and um, and I don't know if I'll ever get back into it or not you know can I'm still young enough if I want to but right now it's I live out in a beautiful place out of about 35 miles Northwest of Austin, uh, it's called the it's called Horseshoe Bay, um, and it's a kind of a golf course retirement area, and uh, so it's a lot of fun. I've read the the uh, anecdote of of your wife way back when I guess in yep. middle school or yeah when she she said hey you might want to put off yeah. retirement until until this kid and maybe some of his teammates come through. Do you remember exactly when you decided, okay, this is going to be the time and I'm going to go out sort of with him and them with that class? Well, um, yeah, because when we got there, to be honest with you, we when we got there, um, the initial plan was six years. And what – uh, the thing about six years that in, in Texas, that's that's a full uh, rotation of, of your program. That that would take a group of seventh graders all the way through seniors. You know, and that's kind of one whole cycle of your program. And I just, you know, I mean, at that point, I can I could fully retire if I wanted to. You know, with full benefits after six years. And uh, but I wanted to see if we could, you know, how what we could do with one cycle. And we won a state championship in 2019. Well, Cade was Cade was on the team in 2019. He was a hard, he was a huge part of that as a sophomore. Um, and we kind of, I kind of intentionally played him on the varsity uh, because I knew that the net, you know that 
going forward that, you know, he needed that grooming. But um, as that season went and the season ended, you know, uh, I'll be honest, kind of selfishly, it's kind of like I invested in, in, in this kid, <laughs> you know, through his sophomore year and he played a lot and got a lot of, uh, and it was almost like having a a starter from a 15-0, and 16-0 and state championship team coming back. Even though he wasn't the full-time starter, he had like, I think Cade had like 150 quality reps, snaps as a sophomore. You know, he threw for about, you know, a thousand rush for about 400, you know, as a sophomore. And uh, so that's about the time, probably right at right when that 2019 season was over with, I pretty much knew I was going to, I was going to see this group through. Um, was the, are the no contact jerseys there black or are they red? I, I, Todd said black, but I, then I read uh, yeah, they're black. Black, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's that's where they are at Westlake. If yeah, okay. Um, I I'm Cade actually said after the ACC championship that um, his experience as a sophomore. Uh, really prepared him um, to experience some of the same elements this season with learning how to be patient. Um, can you reflect on on that? Uh, no doubt, um, Cade. Um, I did something that um, that I that I had never done before. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but I played three quarterbacks for the first seven games and played them evenly and had a plan for who was going to start each one of those games and who was going to come in second and who was, you know, and kind of how the rotation was going to be. And and uh, it was Cade, who was a sophomore, and then a kid named uh, Kirkland Michaud, who is uh, – he's at, he plays for Illinois now. And then um, a kid named Drew Willoughby, who went on – he plays Division three football uh, at a Salem Asylum, Salem University up in somewhere up in Massachusetts somewhere. Um, but you know, it's kind of like going into their those two seniors, their senior year. Kirkland was a guy that was a really good baseball player, and I don't know about other states, but a lot of times here in Texas, if someone's you know big time baseball and they don't get exactly what they want in football, they go straight baseball. Uh, and then um, Drew was, I mean, he was one of those kids that was just ate up with football. He was football, you know, didn't play a whole lot of sports. But I guess my, my point is going into that year, I, I wanted to, you know, kind of honor those two kids uh, for staying with us because most of them, uh, a lot of them I find out they, they transfer or they go straight one sport. And I really – Appreciate it. Then I got Cade, who um, is borderline. I mean, he's he's not quite ready to uh, to take over full time, but the work that we put in to him, um, it you know benefited us greatly the next year. But uh, you know, one of the things that Cade and I've talked about a lot, you know, that the spring before his. Um, sophomore year which was so that would have been his 
you know, a freshman, he's a freshman, is you can talk about those jerseys. Uh, I, um, if I've got a kid that is a returning starter going to spring ball, he's played 15 games for us the year before, whatever. And guess what? In spring, he doesn't get hit. But if you're if you haven't done anything yet, you're going to get you're going to wear that black jersey. Uh, excuse me. You're going to wear the red. You're going to wear the same jersey as everybody else, and you're going to be free meat. And uh, that's just the way it's always. Been. And I I've never understood how anybody can fully prepare a quarterback for for his next for the next deal uh, if you don't fully put them under the the gun so to speak and and uh, turn turn the speed up so you know I was told by Kate I said I'm gonna spend one spring I'm gonna put you in a blender and um, I'm gonna make it go way too fast for you I'm gonna make it way uncomfortable for you and it's gonna benefit you in the in the long run three quarterbacks that sounds like something Spurrier did way back when yeah, you know, and it was one of those deals that kind of uh, it, it. It's the thing about it is, is that after I told them originally, I said I'm gonna because we had two non-district games, and then we had a district game that was against an opponent that we probably I could probably still experiment and still win the game. So, but I told them all along. I said, if don't y'all don't get this wrong. If anything goes sideways, if somebody gets a hot hand, I'm going with them. But anyway, so after three games, uh, the first three games of the year, collectively these guys were throwing for like 350 yards a game. They they were averaging five touchdowns. They had 15 touchdown passes in the first. You know, I mean, they, they had no interceptions. The completion percentage was like 75 percent between the three of them. And so, you know, you put them on against us, so shit, Gus. I mean, uh, they broke, you know, uh, so we kept rolling along. And, 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 and injuries, little injuries, none of them ever got hurt real bad, but little injuries kind of forced my hand uh, as we got deeper into the season. Um, Kate, Kate, really, I mean, he, uh, I mean, the one game that we lost in 2019 – uh, I started. I, I just, it was against our big rival, uh, Lake Travis, and I started the senior, uh, the the one that ended up being our starter through the state championship. I started him in that game, and he was playing well, but he got a concussion. Cade came in, and we were behind, and I mean, he led us all the way back, and we got beat twenty six twenty five. We missed a field goal this time. Uh, and Cade had taken us all the way down the field. We spiked the ball, got the ball, and missed a field goal. Uh, and so that was a great experience for him to, you know, uh, to really step up. And then he got a little dinged up. He, he started the next two games and he got a little dinged up. And so bottom line is it worked out great for us because we won a state championship <laughs> at the end of, at the end of the year playing three quarterbacks. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, his experience this year, even though there are lots of similarities with his sophomore year, having to be patient and all that, the one dramatic difference is he performs this year. He comes in in garbage time, as you know, against Georgia Tech. Yep. Leads the, I guess, the third stringers down the field. Yep. And that creates Cade mania <laughs> with the fans and – even media i'm just curious i know you talk to him a lot like how do you how do you how does a kid manage that i mean when he's a competitor but he also has to have some detachment or or some i guess self-awareness to say you know i still 
have a ways to go. I'm still not ready. All that stuff. The balance of those just kind of fascinates me. Right. Well, we talk probably twice a week throughout the entire season. And uh, I always tell Kay, we'll talk about this play, that play, this series. Uh, tell him how proud I am of him. I'll ask him about his about his grades. I'll ask him about, you know, how everything's going with teammates. And then I'll we usually end the conversation where I'll tell him, I just want to remind you that the second-string quarterback in most every college town is the most popular guy in town. He goes, yep, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Coach. I said, so, you know, be humble, uh, be hungry. Um and be a great teammate for DJ, you know, just and uh, and I can give him that that kind of advice because I went through it. I went through, you know, when I and I mean, it's a long time ago. I'm 59 years old now, but in the early oh 81 through 85, I played quarterback in University of Texas, and I was the I was the the number one quarterback in the state of Texas coming into UT, and everybody wanted to see me play early, and you know, and. I mean, I, I was the, you know, I, you know, I was people, people calling my name before I'd ever even thrown a pass in college. And so I had to go, went through all that and, and got really good advice at that time. And then uh, I became, and then, you know, so I was the number two guy for a while. I, I was the starter that everybody loved because we were, you know, beating people. You know, we beat Auburn and Penn State two weeks in a row to start my sophomore year. And, you know, they were both the number one team in the nation, and then the bottom fell out. All of a sudden, I'm the bomb, you know, of the, of the, of the town. And then, you know, so, I, you know, I've been through every emotion that a Division One quarterback in a, uh, in a crazy college town have been through. So I can, you know, honestly give him that kind of advice. And, uh, per, I mean, I am so glad as someone, as his coach, his high school coach, and someone who loves him and just uh, and cares for him is that things have played out the way they have. Um, and he didn't, you know, that Dabo, after he came in and, you know, gave that sample size against Georgia Tech and they didn't just, boom, you're the starter. Because I've just seen it happen too many times that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, He's probably doing a good job, but he doesn't do as well as everybody thinks he ought to. And then people turn on him on that, and the confidence issues happen. So I think it's been really good for for Kay this whole scenario. Yeah, it's easy for fans or whoever, in hindsight, after the ACC championship, to say, "Oh, you should have had him. You should have put him in early in the right. season, and then you could have beaten South Carolina, this and that." But right. one element to that is DJ was actually playing really well for a time. Absolutely. Uh, and then, I don't know, tell me if you agree with this. My assessment of Cade for a stretch there when he would come in, um, including against Louisiana Tech early on, was game still a little fast for him, um, putting the ball in danger, which you can't have, you know. And like you said, you don't want you know, the confidence thing. You don't want to shatter the kid's confidence uh, early in right. his freshman season. Is that, is that all fair? In your mind? Uh, that's all fair. Absolutely fair. You know, I mean, and, um, probably the, the the game that I got to watch the least of getting to really, it, 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 you know, see his body language and everything was the Louisiana Tech game because I was way up in the stands, you know, but uh, I watched every game that he got the chance to play. And um, between uh, his body language, his eyes, um, 
you know, just uh, you could t- just that nervous energy that kind of gets in the way sometimes. None of that was evident in the ACC championship game, and I think going through, you know, through the process as as you know, I think they built this quarterback the right way, and I think he's you know, about as ready as any true freshman quarterback could be to start in the Orange Bowl. You know, against Tennessee. You know, I just um, I read somewhere the other day that he's the first, you know, quarterback in modern Clemson history to get his first start in a bowl game as a freshman or something like that. And uh, so I think it was built the right way. And um, but he, um, you know, as as we went as I watched him play in the ACC game, the, the one thing that I told him. You know that I was so proud of him is that his body language, his eyes, his just his temperament at the line of scrimmage was elite. I mean, it was literally. I mean, because uh, Kate is one of those guys that you want. He he is such a high energy kid. Well, guess what? Wouldn't you want that as, as your quarterback? Wouldn't you want a guy that rallies other people and is you know is feisty? And yeah, you know, yeah, you do. Uh, and that's who he is. Um, but when you're someone like that, you have to manage that. And he did it. And he, of course, all through his time that he's played for us. Um, I mean, I tell you, one probably one of the biggest things that I miss about coaching right now is is calling plays <laughs> with Kate. Is Kate is my quarterback? <laughs> it is. It, it's a lot of fun because he's so versatile. I mean, there's just. You know, uh, I'm very smart, very athletic. There's not anything, you know, when you say from an athletic standpoint or arm strength standpoint or, you know, just, uh, you know, that after repping for a while that he can't do. He's really, he's very versatile. His short area quickness combined with the top end really seems like quite a package, quite a quite a, an extraordinary yeah. skill yeah. set. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's unique uh, because um, he is a guy that you know d- during the time that we have, him, of course, we, you know, I, uh, I I've followed Clemson's offense through the years, and, and, and the offense that he ran for his whole life at Westlake, they're they're asking him to do a lot of the same things that he he did when he was in high school. So the big picture things, it's it's kind of familiar you know and as far as the zone read stuff and as far as the true quarterback run stuff and then the RPO game um, I mean he um, I guess the RPO for us at Westlake started about 2015 I think Sam Ellinger's junior year we really started and it, it kind of evolved but Cade's like the very best RPO guy that I've ever been around and because he just uh so quick with his hands and his feet, you know. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's always been a great deep ball thrower. And, you know, people always say, well, you know, if you don't throw the ball 70 yards, and you know, I said, well, I don't know that anybody could, why would you need to throw the ball 70 yards in a, in a college football game? I mean, probably never going to protect that long. You know, Kate is great at, at dropping the ball, you know, nose down, you know, at about 45 yards. And, uh, but he can make. I mean, I think it's. I think everybody's seen that he can make all the throws. Were you? I mean, the performance in the ACC championship game was such a revelation because you know. I mean, he, like you said, he was magnificent. Were you surprised by it? 
That it, no. Okay. Not at all because, uh, no. One of the things that I meant, I got distracted myself, but a while ago, is one of the things I think that, that has gotten Cade's way, Cade had to, to overcome it. I told him it's kind of like the Louisiana Tech game. And, you know, after the game was over with, uh, he and I got kind of got away from everybody. We're talking. I said, you know, and he admitted, you know, he, I think his first throw in that game was a slant route. And he's thrown that ball a million times and he puts it between the chin and the Adam's apple. I mean, he puts it right on people's neck, you know, right where it's supposed to be. And he threw it low, you know, and, and so we were talking about that. He goes, coach, he said, he said, you know, yeah, he goes, I don't know what's happening to me. He goes, you know, he goes, when I went in the game, they didn't even tell me until like right now. I mean, they just told me, go. And I didn't get a warm up, you know. There wasn't, you know, he, you know, there wasn't any plan at the time, or you know, they didn't tell me two series ahead. I said, you know, you just learned a very valuable lesson of the life of a number two quarterback tonight. I said, the number two quarterback, his worth to his team is be ready at all time. You're not going to get someone tell you two series ahead of time. Hey, by the way, DJ's going to get hurt in two series. Start warming up. That doesn't happen. And. uh I said, I bet they planned it that way just to see how you'd react, you know. Because, you know, Cade, is a, he's a big routine guy. He loves his routine. He loves making sure, you know, that he gets, you know, he gets right, you know. And so <laughs> it was funny that he said that. And he goes, yeah, Coach, you're probably right. They probably did that on purpose. I said, and they may have, may not. I said, but, you know, put that in that old uh, memory bank, and that's just a lesson that will be learned. He's such a film junkie, and he – watches so much that he spots tendencies like his dad was telling me that Kay was telling him after the ACC championship that he noticed that you know a particular corner if he's if his feet are you know sort of aligned a certain way that means he's going to play a certain technique and then the, this one defensive end he crashes every time so when you run it that way then but then there's the it has to be a huge challenge during a season when you're the number two guy and you're a film junkie and you're studying tendencies of a new defense each week and you don't even know if you're going to be in the game. Is that the biggest challenge? Like you said, staying ready and being as locked in as you would as if you're the starter, but but you're not the starter. Yeah. Well, he um, – yeah, I mean, any – competitor and gosh is he a competitor you know they're going to put the work in and they, and they want to play and that, that is it's hard to get yourself to be honest with to be that unselfish you know and he really is um, it's just you know the thing the thing about you know, and I think that this helps Kay and one of the things that I remember back when we had those three quarterback three quarterback deals. Um, and I always told all, all of our quarterbacks when it comes to quarterback competition, don't wait till someone says you're the starter to start acting like the starter. You know what I mean? Don't start don't start don't say you know this the head coach had a press conference and they you to start and all of a sudden I can start leading people. You know? You better, you better start leading people, you know, now because I want to see who is going to. And I, I went through that whole thing with those three kids, you know, going into that 2019 season. Well, 
if you had come to practice and you didn't have anything to do with our program, if you had come to practice and you saw us practice for a half an hour, and then I asked you which one of y'all you think is the starter, that you'd say well, it's that number it's that number six, that 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 sophomore, because he acted like he was a starter, you know. And I think that that's I don't you know sometimes uh, you know when you're you're either going through a quarterback competition. First of all, coaches want to see if you'll if you'll take over and be a leader. And then sometimes when it's been established, you're the number two. Well, it doesn't mean you you have to take a back seat as a as a leader on the football team to anybody just because you're the number two. You can still encourage people to be a leader. Um. And I, I, I believe that's probably what Cade has been doing. I hope that's what he's been doing. You know, uh, a lot of times everybody says, "Well, you got to defer to the starter," and you know, the starter, you don't want to step on. Well, you can be supportive of the starter and still be a be a you know a worker bee and be an energizer bunny kind of you know guy, you know, and and encourage other people. So that's just my take on it. If you're talking to him twice a week, what's your recollection of the hardest part of the season for him looking back? Oh, I guess probably the you know the Notre Dame game, you know, with the, with the with the interception, you know, and uh, that was tough, you know, just from standpoint that I, you know, I don't know that it, I don't think it had as big a, a factor on the the end of the game, but you know, he felt like he'd let his teammates down and so forth and so on, but. Um, that's probably it. And, um, you know, getting back to your question, it's kind of also, let me get back to your question about the ACC championship game. And did I, um, did it surprise me? No. And because they turned him loose in that game, there was no uh, spoon feeding him. And when he came in in the third series of that game and the rest of the game, to me, and, you know, they're the coaches and, and they do a great job. I love Dabo. Low Streeter, all those guys. They did, but they, I mean, when they put him in the ACC championship game, there was no spoon feeding him. Like we, we want to, we want to make sure we protect his confidence. You know, like you do when you put a, a you know, a young freshman in at the end of a game and mock, mop, mop up duty. They turned him loose, and I asked him after the game. I said, "Did that feel good?" He said, "Coach, it felt so good to just free flow and you know, under, you know, feel like I'm trusted." You know. And it doesn't mean that they don't trust him, but sometimes, I mean, and I've been there before. I mean, it's sometimes playing, calling plays for a kid that, you know, you want to build their confidence up is tough because it's like, I can't do this because, and then I think now, you know, I think it's probably, you know, Betty bar the door, let's roll, you know, and turn him loose. Yeah, against Syracuse, they were sort of spoon feeding him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then he, he, one of the, you know, that, that I've just, I was just his, you know, and, and I think, you know, you cover them and people, you know, now it's kind of saying, you know, the, the kid is probably, I mean, if you're going to run a tempo offense, an offense that is no huddle and needs to get people lined up, you know, and needs to get information from the sideline and get information to other people at the line of scrimmage and maybe sometimes get a, you know, you couldn't find a better a better person, a better athlete to do that. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of good ones in the America, but he's, I mean, you talk about built for it because you never have that. Come on, get your motor running, son. You never have to tell him that. 
like, let's go. Let's get a little energy about you, you know. I mean, that's just something that, as I coached him for three years, I never had to say with him. I mean, and he just, you know, um, and we were a team that wanted to go. We, we went fast. We you know, we were trying to snap the ball about every 14 seconds, you know. And uh, he was really good at that kind of stuff. The Notre Dame sequence, I'm certainly not asking, you know, asking you to criticize the coaches, but as you're watching just yourself, that are you saying – Wow, that's a tough spot to put him in, but he shouldn't have made. He sh- you can't throw across your body like that. <laughs> you you know, th- thinking both. You know, it's funny you say that. I was traveling that day. I actually never saw. I I never saw the the clip of the Notre Dame interception. All I did was, you know, hear about it later on that you know Clemson lost and Kate threw an interception. I talked to him about it, but it wasn't like I could really coach him through that. You know, the whole scenario. So I really can't hardly comment on that one. When DJ starts to struggle, I mean, as we said, he for six or seven games he was playing really well. Um, but once he starts to struggle for a prolonged period, I mean, are there people back there, back in Austin, who are, I mean, do you hear sort of a clamor of like, hey, why, why, why isn't Kenny playing? Like, and is that a sentiment that? Oh yeah, sure there is, sure there is. But those same people here in Austin are doing the same thing at the University of Texas too. You know, they're <laughs> they're University of Texas fans, and, and they're also K. Clubman fans because they live in Austin. And the Westlake people, yeah, they are. You know, everybody's. Um, but once again, the thing the thing that that I as a, as a coach can know is that is that. If I'm if I start being critical, or if someone back here in Austin starts being critical, guess what? We we've never been to a practice. We have no idea what's happening day in and day out. You know, I don't know. I, I, I've never had a conversation this year. I mean, it's not like I'm one of those guys. I'm gonna call you know Brandon Streeter up and say, hey, uh, you know how how are Cage practices going? That that's that's meddling. I'm not gonna do that. You know. Uh, you know, Kate can tell me one thing. So it coaches, you know, they know more. They know a whole lot more about their team than anybody else does. So that's kind of my, my deal. And that's what I, that's what I tell people back in, you know, that in Austin. That and, and a lot of people say because they're fans of Kate and they they love Kate and they, we've seen him play and they, you know, hell, a lot of times they don't even watch. They don't they don't watch Clemson play. They just see the the results of the game and you know the you know maybe the completion percentage of DJ and all of a sudden say Kate ought to be playing and you know the way I look at it is hey did they win the game or you know I mean they, Clemson still wins I guess 10 and 2 in the regular season um, i tell you one thing there's a whole lot of people here in Austin Texas would like to be 11 and 2 right now <laughs> as a coach yeah go ahead I'm sorry so they're uh, they're still obviously playing at a high level. I'm just glad our kids there. As a coach, I'm sure you're watching the body language of the players around Cade in that ACC championship. It just seemed like everything lifted. You could see the receivers perk up, sort of yeah. knowing that the ball was going to get out more quickly, and it just improved everything, the whole operation. Did you see that too? Well, that's part of leadership um, that – as a quarterback, that's why I was telling you, a quarterback that you start to build before you've ever been a starter or been put in in a critical time like that. You know, part of leading is if if 
is being accurate. I mean, you you want you want a group of receivers to think you're a good guy and, and like you. Put the ball on them. They'll start liking you a whole lot. <laughs> they'll think you're a great guy. I mean, they, don't care, they don't care where you came from. They don't care what color you are. They don't care, care whatever. They, they want you to put the ball on them. You start doing that, and you do that consistently in practice, and all of a sudden they go, oh, shit. You know, here he is. Let's, you, know, you know, and he's now doing it in a game. And so, um, yeah, um, I guess it didn't surprise me. Um because that's you know that's just you know we have a deal at our place we have what we call RVAs routes versus air and it's a 10 minute period every every Monday Tuesday Wednesday and I've got him and his main backup and a couple of JV quarterbacks and we go through that with all of our top you know, with probably eight receivers and we will during that time we'll throw Usually, we'll get about 75 throws in uh, during that time. And it's really um, quite often the ball never hits the ground in that in that time period. Uh, never. And with him, it, it definitely doesn't. I mean, he, he's one of those that could literally, I mean, if the ball hits the ground for us during his junior and senior year when we're just going through team – uh, team offense or uh, routes versus air or our screens and specials period a lot of people look around and go oh something wrong Casey feeling bad today you know because the ball just doesn't hit the ground he's that accurate how much do you think his track experience uh, helped his football acceleration and sort of top end speed well uh, top end speed definitely um He's always been a track kid. His, his older brother was uh, a really good track athlete for us, uh, Reed, who you know went to Yale and played wide receiver. Um, you know, they both are built a lot. I mean, we, you know, the one thing with us at, at Westlake is if you play football, you're going to run track. You know, now, and we... You may may not end up running a track meet, but you're going to train. I believe that there's there's only run one way to get faster, and that's to run. Well, Cade has been, you know, since he was younger, they've always competed in track. I think even before he was in junior high. But he's just a real good athlete, you know. I mean, especially I mean the, the triple jumping and the long jumping was the thing that caught our eye was when he was in junior high, and then of course when he gets to high school and all, you know, I want all of my quarterbacks definitely to run track because that's uh, an opportunity for them to get faster, but it's also an opportunity for them to lead, you know. And um, I think Cade would tell you, you know, one of the harder things that, that he's had to do in probably his athletic life is to run an open quarter or, or a leg on a mile relay team when a whole lot of people count on you and that, that there's there's some toughness to that and uh there's also some you know you all eyes are on you and uh, you can either you know give up or you can like gut it out and push through and get your best time you know that you can and uh but to me his best track event was the 200 meters and I personally like watching him run it because he, he he's like a slingshot coming off that curb. <laughs> he, he can he can skin it pretty good coming down that, that around that curb. 
Do you get the same sensation when uh, against North Carolina when you see him turning down the sideline and turning it up? Yeah, you know, and he's always been funny. He, he's tried to, like, shy away from the dual threat. You know, quarterback, you know, people want to call people a dual threat or a mobile or a pro style. How about uh, a good a good efficient quarterback that's what you are you know because we we asked them to you know we asked him to be a you know 70 to 75 yard rusher a game in his career that would be you know a true quarterback run that's kind of our you know sometimes sometimes that would be if I played a game that I didn't need him to run, you know, I'd, I'd take runs off of him. But there, there's some games I need him to rush for 120, 130, and for us to win a game. And uh, you know, the state championship 2020 when we played South Lake Carroll, uh, you know, he threw for 220 and he rushed for 90. You know, in the state championship game, and probably that 90 yards that he rushed for was probably a big difference in the ball game because you know when he had a couple of 50 yard runs and. At the time he was running, he was the fastest guy on the field. You know, 22 people that are on the field. He, now, obviously, that doesn't carry over necessarily being the fastest guy on the field to Division One Power Five football. But he is a guy that if if he needs to accelerate and go get seven yards, um, he can do, he can do that well. Is one area he might need some? You know, speaking of big time college football might need some refining is, is just getting thicker and stronger to hold up yeah, yeah. no I, I de- definitely think so and I don't think it's going to be I don't think that's going to be a problem his family is a very is a tall long lean family anyway you know but he, so he's not he's never going to be you know 230 pounds uh, you know um, but I remember when you know his brother uh, read and there's so much alike as athletes, you know, and uh, they're very similarly built. Uh, Reed's a little bit tall, but when Reed came back after his first year, you know, uh, he had really thickened up and he got, got in the weight room the right way and everything. So I, I, I expect for Kay to, to continue to, to grow in the weight room. You deal with a lot of schools and, and, and kids who are getting recruited and you've been around a long time. Just curious how different Clemson is to you just sort of culturally and obviously they were very magnetic for him they were very magnetic for the guy they just signed uh, Christopher Vizina both of their mothers told me about the NIL um, topic they said we don't give a crap about that we just want to go somewhere where he can be nurtured and and grow as a man and, and, and this and that how in 2023, almost with college football just really the landscape kind of being turned upside down in a hurry with all the portal and NIL and all that. Um, how, how different is Clemson culturally to you? Um, how much do they set themselves apart with sort of their value system yeah. that doesn't really emphasize the transactional part of uh, of, of things? Well. Yeah, they are definitely an outlier right now, and, and to me, in a very good way. Um, you know, when when Kay really took off, and I could tell that uh, he really liked Clemson along, along with some others. It didn't surprise me when he when he and Coach Sweeney got to know each other. I, I, I met Coach Sweeney in 
2003, maybe four, probably about 2003 or four. I took my, brought my son Riley, who's the head coach at Southlake, now to the uh, Clemson camp, and Coach Sweeney was the wide receiver coach. And you know, you, sometimes you tell the true character of someone is when you, me. And my son and his friends that we brought, we were all, they were all rising freshmen. When we can't do anything for, for Clemson, how Clemson treated us, they treated us like kings. And Dabo was so, you know, welcoming to us and all that. So I, I was so, I was glad that he was getting recruited by Clemson. When they, they met, they're, they're like, I mean, you know, personality-wise. I haven't been around Dabo Swing a whole lot in my life, but I do know he's a very positive, high-energy man. Well, KK's kind of the same guy, you know. Uh, so that worked really well. And they recruited him without an offer. That just blew my mind. That absolutely blew my mind that they were able to keep, build that relationship with him and stay at the very top of his list. And they, 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 told, they told him they were not going to offer him. Until they, you know, this kid, I think Ty Simpson, the kid that at Alabama had, uh, or they had offered, that ended up going to Alabama. So, needless to say, when he committed to Clemson as his head football coach, I was very excited for him, for the family. As far as the NIL stuff, you know, I've asked Kate about that. Just you know, kind of curious, George kind of guy, you know. And, hey, what's the NIL? He goes, Coach, I. Just, I just, you know, yeah, there's some guys that have a. I said, so where is anybody approach? He goes, you know what? Um, I'm. He was just. He said, you know, I, I really don't feel comfortable taking any nil. I haven't done anything yet, and that's kind of Kate's. You know, until I do something, I don't think I really deserve any nil. Wow. So that's kind of his take, and then uh, yeah. Hey, I'm gonna have to run. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm I'm sitting here in this hotel room. And I'm <laughs> probably, have, probably have to check out. That's that's what grandparents do now. They go from hotel. To hotel. <laughs> If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803 774 0435 or go to uptownrealtysc.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864 326 35 
1-800-522-5507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Um, yeah, I just want to, again, go back and sort of recreate the that ninth grade um, snapshot of, of him uh, starting and uh, playing against Ramsey. Just, that just really interests me. So uh, I guess if we could just start by your general recollections of, of that event and just sort of leading up to it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just a kind of a little bit background of that. Um, so, uh, I got to know, uh, CV, uh, his eighth grade year. I was actually helping out with the middle school, uh, that year. And, uh, that was during that season that really his best friend, uh, suffered a, season-ending injury Um, and CD was kind of the starting wide receiver but also the backup quarterback that we had used in wildcat packages and so forth and um, and and he just was a natural quarterback Um, you know because he's the you know one of the best athletes on that team and so we made the decision at that point in that season to just continue him at quarterback. And then I moved to the varsity the next year as quarterback coach. And uh, we started the season with a um, junior quarterback that was going to be our starter. And then CB was going to be the backup. And then in the first game of the season, the starter uh, got hurt. Um, and CV had to come in uh, as the backup, and and at that point, from that point on in the season, he was our only really option we had as a true quarterback. Uh, that's how limited we were at that position. So we we had a bunch of these personnel packages that we used that were going to be like emergency situations if he were to get hurt. And uh, you know, he was young; he's fourteen. He's, he's young for his grade. And so we were, uh, you know, each week kind of struggling <laughs> with, um, you know, how do we keep him healthy, not asking to do too much, but also, you know, we're still trying to win, win football games with a pretty good team. And uh, and so we, we really had, uh, you know, real, real successful uh, season, you know, at that point. Uh, you know, I had an early uh, loss to, to Pleasant Grove, but uh, you know went on a long win streak after that. And then, of course, the Ramsey game, they were, they were rated you know, number one in the state. And uh, he had pr- progressively gotten better and better. And we, we felt like that to beat Ramsey, we were going to have to kind of open him up a little bit and let him do a little bit more than we'd asked him to do. Um, and he... Uh, he responded really well. And you're the AD and also a position coach? Yeah, I'm the 
athletics director, and then I've been the when Matthew Forrester became the head coach that year, 2019. He asked me to come and be uh, to, to start coaching quarterbacks again, which I'd done for years and years. Uh, I've been the previous offensive coordinator and then went to Nashville for seven years as a head coach and have been back since 2011 uh, and had taken on different roles uh, with the football team. But I, I became uh, his quarterback uh, coach his first season. I've done that ever since. So, And going into that game, I mean, it was – as I think I heard on your podcast, it was nobody was really giving y'all a shot, yeah. and even even the Ramsey players were uh, expressing their outwardly expressing their confidence that that y'all didn't have a shot. Can you maybe share what you recall uh, in, from that angle? Well, if, if you were to look on paper uh, at the matchup, I mean. Um, they, they were just loaded athletically, especially up front. Uh, and uh, uh, some guys that had been offered and were going to be Division One college athletes. So, you know, looking at the films, looking at the matchup, uh, again, you wouldn't think that that uh, was going to be something that they would be worried about us having a chance to beat them, you know. Uh, we were unranked. Uh, they're ranked. Um, I think looking at similar scores, I have to go back and study it. But so I, I don't think that I don't think from just by any standpoint, you look at it and, and think that we were you know anything but maybe a couple of touchdown underdog, even though we're playing at home. So. Um, and then, of course, you know, at halftime, they were up uh, 20 to 7. So uh, I'm, I'm sure there wasn't anything about even the start of that game that would make them think that, the, that we weren't going to come back and, and beat them. So. His mother, Carolyn, told me she remembers Tim Keenan walking off the team bus before the game carrying a Chucky doll. <laughs> <laughs> remember that but I, I, that doesn't surprise me I think I remember them making some reference to that maybe even in the podcast I wasn't quite sure what they're referring to so what do you remember about I mean I, from what I've been able to gather he was hit a lot and even on the big throws yeah. that he made he didn't even really see him caught because he was he was on his back and looking over at the yeah. stands yeah uh you know, that's something I do remember um, uh, because of just uh, we just had a really hard time pass protecting because they were so physical up front and so athletic. And even though we were doing everything we could to double team and help out, um, you know, they were getting pressure just about every time we, we threw the ball. And then our starting tailback went out as well. You know, so we were hoping to go in the game, kind of keep it close, run the football, and then maybe have a chance to win at the end. But then our running back went out, and then we're we're you know we're kind of stuck um, having to kind of alter our game plan a little bit. So we 
we did have some some throws and some double moves and stuff because they were so aggressive. But the problem with throwing the double move is you need a little bit more time to even throw those. You know, uh, it's one thing to catch the ball and throw a hitch, but if you're going to catch the ball and throw a hitch and go, you need that extra half second to be able to throw it. And the one thing about CV that game was, I mean, every one of his big throws, uh, as, he was, as, as he was throwing it, he was getting hit. But uh, it really showed us that he, he, he really has that uh, kind of toughness. He never shrunk back from that. You know, he just, he'd make the throw, get hit, and get back up. And, uh, and again, he was just a string bean, you know. Um, uh, I mean, he was a young 14-year-old that had a really nice throwing motion. And really could, you know, really for a young guy understood the the concepts and the coverages and stuff. So he knew where he was going with the ball. But to be able to kind of stand in there and make a great throw, even though he was about to get landed on by, you know, 300-pound guy, he, he stood up and did it. How much do you think he weighed at that time? Oh, my goodness. Uh, he's, he was probably at that time, and I'm just trying to guess, six six two. 160 pounds, maybe. Maybe less than that. But uh, nothing like he is today when you see him. He looks so big. He's really grown up and filled out, you know, since that time. And it was it's just totally unheard of for a freshman to come in and and do what he did at quarterback, correct? Well, we had, we had, had a freshman in the past play in varsity games. That was 2003, Joe Craddock is now the offensive coordinator at Troy. Uh, and Joe played probably about halftime, split time as senior quarterback, but we've never had a freshman quarterback start Everett Briarwood. For him to come in and start that season and have the record that we had with him starting was really, was really something. You know, and uh, and the thing is, is he just kept getting better and better. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go on there. It's not just him making plays. It's, you know, uh, trying to be a quarterback that's expected to be the leader and having to try to lead some, but also being in deference to the seniors, you know. And that's where, if you listen to the podcast, Trent Howard, you know, helped out so much, where Trent and some of the senior leaders that year, decided to kind of embrace CV and then he did a great job of just you know playing it as deference to the team and and I think because his ability just to work hard show toughness and make plays and of course we started winning uh, and then he was actually being a plus from the quarterback position not a deficit it just kind of grew you know that whole whole thing kind of grew and was was fun experience. Yeah, what do you remember about, I mean, not only an extraordinary situation for him in that role, but also for a group of seniors that sort of was intentional about, it sounds like, about wrapping their arms around him, which is not, that's not a typical, <laughs> you know, thing that seniors do with, with freshmen. Yeah, and, and I would say that that's um, kind of a legacy of uh, the great 
culture, football culture we have at Briarwood and, and kind of how we build it on team concepts and you know, our seniors are taught kind of servant leadership. Uh, um, that's That was by the longtime Hall of Fame coach, Coach Yancey, but then Matthew Forrester in his first year just stepped right up and continued that tradition because Matthew had played in that system, understood it, had, co- had both played and coached uh, with Coach Yancey that that was established, pretty, pretty well established that culture was about, you know, the kind of next man up, everybody do what you need to do to, to, to go for team success, not worry about the individual success. But then I think you also have to credit those CV in that he he just decided I must be a guy to come in and work hard, uh, play hard, and and not not take any of the spotlight. You know, just just keep his head down and just do his job. Do you? Well, did you go on uh, the trip with him to camp uh, where at Clemson, where Arch Manning was also there? Yeah, yeah. In fact. Um, I don't have it recorded, but our head coach, Matthew Forrester, has it. But I was texting the coaches a play-by-play of that whole day, especially when it came down to that. And it was really uh, kind of a funny, funny moment, Um, you know, just, you know, it was kind of like one for one, two for two, three for three, Uh, you know. And uh, it was really, the whole thing kept growing. And and I, I think you know I can't remember the numbers exactly now, but CV was something like seventeen of nineteen, and Arch was something like fifteen for nineteen or something. I mean, it was it was pretty neat to see uh, that, and that's when we kind of because again we had not been on the road with CV to even comparing with other quarterbacks, but you know after that day it it felt really good that he was going to be fine. And uh, we actually went to Duke the next day, and I played for David Cutcliffe. He was kind of my coaching mentor. And uh, I I wanted Coach Cutcliffe to see see me early and kind of give us a read on what he thought about his, you know, status was going to be. And, of course, Coach Cutcliffe offered him that day. But when we we first walked up, Coach Cutcliffe said, he he goes, I heard you. I was trying to remember how he said it. He said, I heard you uh, uh, put it on the arch or something like that to those words, you know, yesterday. So he'd already kind of heard about it as well, you know. Um, so that, that was a that was a pretty big moment, that camp at Clemson, because he, again, there was a whole progression of that where he had gone to Alabama first and, I think was a little bit nervous uh, in that spotlight. It did fine, uh, but with each step, he kind of kept growing and improving and competing because he wanted to use those camps not as a showcase of look look who I am, or but of, of how to get better. And I think he used each camp to get better uh, during that to June phase. And I do think he, that he got better. Um, Throwing the better receivers and going going through you know really high level competition and he really stepped his game up you know during that time so maybe to prove to himself as much as to prove to the outside world maybe maybe the thing that he's got that's pretty impressive is that he has a 
great capacity to learn and implement stuff immediately. And so all the years I've been with him, he's a guy that he'll see it on tape one time and we'll make a correction and then you won't see that mistake again. Like uh, little, little things too, things that I think would be actually hard to put in place, but he's got the ability to see a mistake. Uh, for example, that, that comes on that morning we went through the drills and there are about four or five drills that we don't do uh, in our system, you know. One of them was the... Um, the triple read off the off the zone play where it's not just a double read where you can either give or keep. They have a throw off of it. And because we had never really run that play or done that, he struggled that morning. I remember Coach Streeter was pushing him pretty hard on what he wasn't doing correctly, you know, for that drill. But then when we, we went through the same drills that afternoon, CV had already adapted and looked great. So he didn't look good the first time going through those drills, but he looked great uh, that afternoon going through the same drills. And that's that's just something he has uh, that he can he can learn and adapt pretty quickly to what's being asked of him to do. Saw the same thing when he went to Notre Dame. Tommy Reese had a couple of uh, off schedule throw drills that CB didn't do a very good job of. And then uh, when we got back to Briarwood, I decided to put a few of those in just to work with him a little bit. And he had already just added it to his uh, to his game, which I thought was interesting. Where did you play for Cutcliffe? So I was his quarterback at back high school. Where's that? Then, say that again. You broke up a little bit. Uh, it was a. Uh, I was his high school. That was his last high school quarterback. Really, his first high school, first quarterback, because he became a head coach when I was playing for him. But I played for him two years in high school, my junior and senior year. He went to Tennessee. I went to Alabama. And then when I became the offensive coordinator at Briarwood, years later, we reconnected. And I spent all my 90s, early to late 90s, going to Tennessee. And he was helping me develop our system at Briarwood. So... What high school did you play for? Uh, B-A-N-K-S, Banks High School. It doesn't exist anymore. Gotcha. It was a Birmingham City school, yeah. Um, wh- who was in the traveling party on these on, on all the, these trips that, that summer? It was mom, dad, and me. Okay. And y'all went to Clemson, Duke, Alabama, Notre Dame. Yeah, so we went the first up the East Coast. We went uh, Alabama, Clemson, Duke, Wake Forest. And then the one that we went up by 65, we went to uh, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Louisville. That's it. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. And do you can you refresh me again? I don't cover recruiting, so I don't have a really good sort of recall or institutional knowledge of a timeline uh, of events as far as his recruitment goes. But can you remember what the communication was like from Clemson's coaches to him at the time? 
um, what exactly they were telling him. And then after all those trips are complete, was was Clemson just far and away the the top object to him? It's, can you get my drift on sort of just help me paint yeah. a better, a clear picture of what was going on in real time? Yeah, so there's two ways that schools do it. Some schools make a ton of offers to a bunch of kids. And uh, we, we, we don't, uh, the term we kind of use for it is it a committable offer? And uh, the idea would be that a coach calls a quarterback and says, hey, we'd like to offer you, you know, well, right then if the kid said, okay, I'd like to take it, then the coach would go, well, you know, we're still evaluating. <laughs> so it's like some people, when they offer you, they're just saying, like, we're really interested in you. Clemson does it the other way. They're not going to make a bunch of offers. They're only going to offer kids that they've, like, looked at, vetted, uh, and so if you get, so they're not, they're, they're not going to, I think the only offer they'd had for CV's class was actually Arch Manning at the time, you know, and I may be wrong on that as far as their, their actual offers, but they, they offer hardly anyone, you know, so that's what you have to kind of sort through. So, um, when we went to, uh, Clemson, and of course I know Dabo really well and the Lemansky Hall well, I and mean, we've got some Broward connections with Clemson because of um, Trent Howard and uh, Carson Donnelly. Their dad's coach with us at Briarwood. They were teammates with Dabo at Alabama. So we, we knew that they thought a lot of CV, that they were going to track him, but there was no offer coming out of Clemson to CV, which was fine with us. I mean, again, we were using the trip to kind of get our view of where he stood and then just trying to use the opportunity to get better, you know. Um, I think Liam Cohen at Kentucky was the first D1. Well, I think you, even though UAB had offered him, uh, Liam Cohen was like the first like, Power 5 offer. Um, and then when Coach Cutcliffe offered at Duke, uh, Liam called me and said that made him feel a lot better because if Coach Cut offers a kid, then that means that that he's really got what it takes to be a quarterback at that level, you know. But once that happened, then it's like everybody starts jumping on the bandwagon then, you know, like um, just so that they've got their name in the hat. You know, what is, once the first few offers come in, then everybody kind of starts offering, but you're not sure which of those offers are what I call legitimate offers or not, you know. Um, it's the only time to tell, and of course, it's never official official till signing day, you know. And then Clemson offered, I guess, was it after Arch told them he had narrowed his list and they weren't on it, or had they offered Christopher before that? So I don't know what the communication with Clemson and Arch was, but there was a point in time, and I, I don't have it on my calendar where it looked like Clemson wasn't going to be in Arch's, uh, you know, list of finals. And then uh, it wasn't long after that CV got an offer um, from Clemson. But, again, 
I don't have the specifics on that, but but I did I did I think I mentioned to the Vizinas when I saw the Arch had not listed Clemson. I, I told them I said I bet Clemson will be offering soon. Yeah, that was just a guess at the time, but I knew that they liked him and were following him. Do you remember on after that trip was complete? After y'all had been to all these different schools that summer, what what Christopher thought of Clemson and where they were sort of on his on his pecking order? Oh, I would say that would be at the top or top two or three, mainly from the culture, the the Broward culture, where you know it's kind of a, you know team faith. Uh, just, just got a great feel to it. I think he felt all. I think he felt early on that uh, that that was the kind of place that fits him really well. So he thought a lot of that offer. You know, I think what he's told me more than once is he wanted to go to a place that had a chance to compete for the national championship, help him grow to be the best player he could be, but also had. Uh, that they were willing to embrace their faith as an important part of their team culture. Now, Arch didn't go to any of these other schools, and that was the only time that Christopher sort of competed with him at a camp, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was definitely friendly. Uh, I thought both guys, they high-fived each other, and there wasn't anything. I mean, it was just a... You know, and, it, and to be honest, it's on air. It's throwing the receivers, you know, just that have all the advantage against DBs. So it's, uh, but it, you know, they got their picture made afterwards. Uh, I think they got to be friends. They start, they followed each other on social media after that. So, but yeah, Arch did his, didn't make many visits, um, you know, and because of the name brand and all. Has a little bit different way he could could approach it, you know. Is it is it accurate in your mind to say that, or to assume that that Christopher performing like he did sort of matched up with Arch that day that uh, at that camp that that was instrumental in his development and his confidence, just knowing that he could do that. No doubt. I mean, and that would be true of, you know, every stop along the way. Uh, you know, when we went to Duke, he just dominated that visit, mainly because the way we train quarterbacks and the way Duke does. So every drill we did is exactly what Duke does because it's part of Coach Cutcliffe's system, you know. So uh, he just looked great. Uh, and, of course, got the offer. Uh them, but yeah, I think every every camp we went to where he competed and threw, and then we went back, we made a second trip to Alabama um, where CB was only with about two or three other quarterbacks uh, and threw uh, in front of Bill O'Brien and Coach Saban and he looked completely different that visit uh, looked really good um, and uh yeah, you know, I could tell that. I could tell just comparing those two visits, how much he'd improved just in the course of those few weeks that June. Where do you think he'd be had Clemson not materialized? Oh, I mean, he. Uh, 
I mean, he he ended up liking a lot of a lot of the folks. Uh, so it, it, it'd be hard to tell. I mean, he liked Notre Dame a lot. He liked Ole Miss a lot. Uh, uh, he liked um, Coach Heupel made a good move. You know, at some point, uh, I think we were all impressed with him. Um, you know, a lot of change was happening too. So, uh, you know, Florida came on at some point, uh, and uh, Billy Napier actually came up to Briarwood, and so there was a lot of impressive uh, opportunities for him. But he 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 kind of never kind of wavered on the on the Clemson as far as being his number one at some point. With Alabama, I mean, Carolyn says that's an Alabama family. Like she's been giving away her, <laughs> all of yeah. her Alabama stuff. What do you make of that? Just in terms, I mean, that's just kind of fascinating from the outside looking in. Diehard Alabama family is now like totally converting. I mean, I know it's not the first instance of that happening just because of so many of Dabo's connections over there. And there have been a lot of people who have sort of turned orange, so to speak. Uh, what do you make of that uh, that sort of angle to it? So I'm only guessing. I just think his rise was so fast. I think uh, I think Coach Saban likes to see guys coming from a long way off and track them year after year after year. And I think it was such a quick rise. I know uh, Bill O'Brien talked a little bit about him continuing to get up and out, up and out. I think one of maybe a little faster release potentially but in the long run um so i keep forgetting the kid that signed with alabama from his class uh do you remember his name by chance not simpson um yeah i can't remember anyway so that kid was there with cv that second time we went to alabama it was him that kid the kid that was going to oregon at the time and one other so there weren't many people there, and they were throwing. And uh, they offered that kid, he was, I think, from either Louisiana or Texas that day. Great kid, and he and seems to be a great quarterback. Uh, but, um, again, I think some of it with Alabama is I just think they, they like tracking them from a long way off. And I think CV just – I think he – I think he just rose too, too fast for it to feel good with how they do things you know uh, that's just my opinion do you think had they had they become enamored of him that and offered him do you think he would that that would have been a tough decision i don't know um you know it's interesting uh we learned a lot in the process as far as so schools will make certain pushes on the quarterback position based on what they project the quarterback room to look like, you know. And there's some years where there's a little more pressure to hire, to, to hire, to sign a four or five star as opposed to other years based on what they've got coming, coming back. So some of that may have been just even from an Alabama standpoint of what they felt like their quarterback room was going to look like, um, so it's just hard to know. I mean, it's funny because I do think these kids grow up fans of schools, but once you get to that level, uh, when it comes to you know deciding where you're going to go to school, there's a lot more that goes into it. And so we sat down, like, for example, with CV and made a list of questions 
we knew we knew in any power five school the quarterback room is going to be competitive so they, you can't worry about that you know but we talked about do the players like the strength coach you know do they um what do they say about the coaching staff you know um there's just a lot that goes into it so it's just hard to know i mean it's 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 hard to know uh you know, I thought Notre Dame was going to be a big draw just because the Vizinas are a Catholic family, you know. Uh, and, and it could be that they would be the more in the mix. But you also have to think about how far, you know, as a kid's, it'd be easy for a kid's mom to go see him play or not. You know, as far as location, I think, matters. So there's just so many factors that go into it in the long run. Um is it a place that he actually wants to go to school there would enjoy being in school there, you know. Can you refresh me on your connections with Dabo again? I know you shared that with me last week, but I would really like to just get that. Yeah. Uh, just to... So when I was a youth pastor in Birmingham before I went into coaching, uh, we have a youth ministry that was working on site at different schools. And so Dabo was a part of that ministry when he was at Pelham. I wasn't his youth pastor, but a good friend of mine was. And so he, that friend of mine said, hey, I got a kid at Pelham that's going to walk on Alabama. I know you walked on Alabama. Uh, can y'all have a conversation about your experience? And I've got these few little tips or words of advice I give to, to folks uh, about walking on, you know. And um, and so uh uh, I can't remember if Dabo called me or I called Dabo, but it was his senior at Pelham. And it's kind of like, hey, I know you're walking on. I walked on and we, we, you know, went through some things. And so that was our initial contact. And then years later, when he was the head coach at uh, Clemson, <clears throat> Joe Craddock, um, who was office coordinator and I coached at Briarwood, was uh, working camps. Uh, when Dabo offered him a job. And so when Joe got to start working for Dabo, I started going up to Clemson, uh, kind of reconnect with them. And then Lemansky Hall actually hired on my staff in Tennessee. So there was just a lot of interconnections. But uh, every time Dabo comes by Briarwood or I go up to Clemson, uh, we've got a good connection just because of some of that past, you know. Um, him uh, going to Alabama, me going to Alabama, knowing some of the guys from that 92 team, even though I went in 82 uh, to Alabama, and then just staying in touch over the years through coaching. What do you remember from that conversation when you were giving him, him advice on uh, walking on? Like, what struck you about him? And um... Well, I, uh, I knew just everybody knew who he was just because uh, he had a great reputation as a player, you know, tough-minded. He'd come from a tough family background, you know, but was just a quality kid. Uh, and then this, this, the talk I remember, because I give the same, I've given that same talk to hundreds of walk-ons. It's about staying patient, um, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of a persevering game. Uh, guard your attitude. Uh, there, you know, there's just a lot of little things I share from my experience. And of course, you know, he went on and just did, you know, he ended up like, earning a scholarship and then later coaching. Uh, so I always kind of admired 
what he did in that situation. Okay, hope you all enjoyed those slices of the interview process that went into the recent series we had on uh, Kay Klubnik and Chris Vizina. Certainly going to be extremely interesting to watch the progression of both of these quarterbacks moving forward. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen as usual. And then, of course, most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it. Cheers.